What exactly do you do when you present or speak in front of a group of people? Are you completely focused on your content? And are you already thinking about what you're going to say next while you were speaking? Or are you nervous and don't dare to look your audience in the eye because you are afraid to lose the thread? If this sounds familiar to you, you certainly want to find out how to be a more confident and grounded speaker. On this topic, I had a highly insightful discussion with Halali Azulai, who is an author, speaker, facilitator, and leadership development strategist, and an expert in communication skills and emotional intelligence. If you want to get to know some hands-on tips on how to improve your communication skills, this episode is for you. Welcome to Charisma Hacks, the show where you get strategies, tools, and mind training to learn to speak from your innermost conviction, to own who you truly are, and to stand in your full power. I am Ulrike, and I am wholeheartedly dedicated to empowering leaders to connect with their authentic self so that they can sparkle from the inside and lead and communicate with charisma. Hello, Ali. I am so pleased to welcome you here today. I'm sure our listeners are eager to learn more about you and from you. Would you like to say a few words about yourself to start with? I am based outside of Los Angeles, California, where I've lived for the past six years. Before that, I was in the Washington, D.C. area for 32 years, building my business called Talent Grow, which I started back in 2006 to develop leaders that people actually want to follow. Uh, all of my work centers around consulting to different organizations that want to develop their leaders, to have a strategic approach to developing their leaders, and also to build specific skills, especially around emotional intelligence for leaders. We have a lot of leaders listening to us who would like to improve the impact they have at work. And this show is all about how to communicate with charisma. How important are, in your opinion, good communication skills when it comes to being a charismatic leader? Back when I went to university in the early 90s, I studied communication. And back then I realized that communication to me is like the expression of your psychology. Psychology is like what goes on on the inside, but communication is the way in which you can convey what you want, what you think to others. And it becomes something that I think is absolutely crucial in every endeavor, in your personal and professional relationships. And it is like the stepping stone to success, no matter what profession you choose and no matter what you're trying to accomplish, because you can't do anything by yourself. Humans were not meant to be in isolation and cannot survive in isolation. And therefore you need to work with others, but others think differently. Others have a different psychology. Others have a different interpretation of the situation. So this, it's like building a bridge. You know, the communication allows you to convey what's in your mind to them. And hopefully the goal is shared meaning that you're both thinking the same way, seeing things the same way, which you and I both know is not easy to do. No, exactly. It's about empathy, changing the perspective, understanding a bit where the other people come from. And we are all wired so differently that oftentimes we think we communicate very well. And for us, it's crystal clear. And we don't understand why the other party doesn't get it. <laughs> so we often have this misunderstanding. 
Some leaders are born communicators, uh, but I can see that the majority of leaders have a hard time to, to use this part of their job, the part that is communication. What is at stake in your opinion when leaders shy away from direct exchange and from taking communication as a core skill? It's true that some people have strength in being uh, a communicator who does so with ease, but everyone can learn how to be a better communicator. And there's a lot at stake. You know, if you think about you, what you need in, as a leader in order to succeed, you need people to willingly follow. I always say developing leaders that people actually want to follow because a title or a position of authority allows you to say you're a leader and perhaps even allows you to force people to do things because you have the power over them. But that's not how people do their best work. People do their best work when they're personally committed, they understand the why, they think it's the right thing to do, and they want to do a good job because they believe in your vision, they believe in the organization, they believe in the goals, and they believe that they can do it. All of these things require communication, good communication from a leader. So if you fail to articulate your vision, then people don't understand what it is that you want them to do or where they're going, and they might go in the wrong direction. If you fail to explain to them how important it is or connect it for them to what they care about, then you miss the opportunity to have them work in a way that is committed 100%. We all know that when we do something because we have to, we do the minimum we need to to get the monkey off our back. It makes no rational sense for any human to work extra hard at something they think is not the right thing or that they think is stupid. So if we want people to work extra hard, if we want people to give it their all, if we want people to do it even when you turn your back, they need to believe in it and they need to understand how and why to do it. All of this requires communication. And then if you think about anything that's worth doing is going to be hard to do. It's not going to come easily. So people are going to naturally come up against obstacles, or maybe they'll come up against some resistance. And as a leader, part of your job is to develop their skills so that they can do a better and better job, and also to remove obstacles from their way to help them succeed on their mission. And all of that also requires communication. You need to be able to have them feel comfortable enough to raise the white flag and say, you know, I need help. I can't do this. Or I'm having a hard time. You know, people that are afraid of you or doing something because you're just kind of threatening them with something, they're going to cover up their mistakes or they're going to pretend that they did a good job and try to not mention mistakes, not mention problems. You, you're not going to be able to achieve the results you want unless you can get them to trust you, unless you can get them to feel safe to let you know that they need help, unless you get them to be willing to make mistakes and try, even when things are difficult or not obvious, all of that will require uh, good communication skills on your part. Would you say it's one of these core skills that makes the life of a leader much easier? Of course. Yes, 100%. And, and, it's, and it's so learnable. How would you classify or define communication skills? In some ways, it's too broad to be categorized easily. But as I said, communication is about achieving shared meaning. You know what you think 
and you don't know what the other person is thinking. You don't have any way to know it's what's in their mind. So you want to help convey what you, what's in your mind to them successfully and hope that they will agree with you. But you also need to have the humility and empathy, as you mentioned, to recognize that they see things differently and they may be right and you may be wrong. And you have to be willing to listen and understand them rather than just force your way into their brain somehow. But also that there is some third way, right? That there's some way that through the dialogue and through finding new potential solutions to the problem that didn't come into your mind before, that they hadn't considered before, but that through the communication interaction, you're able to create these new solutions that may uh, address their needs and your needs and are creative, that can only become possible through communication. So that's where there's shared meaning, but it's beyond that. It's beyond just conveying your mind to them only. It's multidirectional. What are first steps to improve communication skills? If you have the feeling, ah, I, I, it's, it's something I'm really out of my comfort zone. I don't feel comfortable in speaking, even in front of a smaller group of people. And, and I have the feeling I'm always misunderstood. I would say that for each of us, there's probably a different challenge. In other words, there's something that we already do pretty well, and there is something that doesn't come as naturally. So it's important for you to realize what do you need to hone in on as a communicator, and then you can address your uh, challenges most directly. So that's a kind of a general comment. You know, it's not the same for everyone because we're coming at it from different skill levels and different strengths. But ultimately, there's the part that you control about your message. And so how you convey your message, what specifically do you say and don't say? How long should it be? How should you frame it and say it? What do you need to know about your audience in order to give them the information that's most compelling to them? These are things that you can do in your planning process, and we can talk more about that. But when you're at the communication interaction in the arena, if you will, and so whether you're speaking to one person or a group, you need to know more about them. You need to engage with them, especially if it's a, a, a dialogue, right? Rather than a, you know, a presentation or something like that. That involves asking really good questions and then zipping it and listening. Those are two incredibly important skills for communication because they allow you to get the part that you don't yet know, but that will allow you to achieve that end outcome that you seek. So sometimes I say it's kind of like, you know how you have a box of a jigsaw puzzle, you know, the little pieces that you fit together, they bring together a picture. Well, imagine that you have a, a box and it has half the, pick, the pieces and the other person has a box and they have half the pieces and there's no picture on the cover, on the box. You know, for a jigsaw puzzle to work, you need all the pieces and you have to have an understanding of what is it that you're trying to strive towards? What should it look like? This guides you. In this communication interaction, it's almost like, or maybe we have some part of the picture or a partial understanding of the picture, but we don't, ultimately, we don't already know everything we need to know in order to achieve the right outcome. And so we have to come into it with this willingness to understand, to learn this desire to want to know the other person's perspective. It's crucial. 
it's just arrogant to assume that I already have all the pieces and I just need to somehow shove them down this person's throat. I also believe that even when it's about just presenting and not even being in an active dialogue, or let's say not being in a verbal dialogue, which is also something different than the non-verbal dialogue. But I think even then it's important to truly bring these pieces of the jigsaw together because it, it's still there. You still have an audience in front of you. You still have their perspective, even if, if they are kind of muted, maybe because you are a presenter, it's even the more important to understand who is sitting on the other side and what kind of messages they understand. You said in the beginning that first of all, you try to shape your message. You think about your content basically. And usually people spend a majority of their preparation time with the content. <laughs> Whereas there are many numbers and studies around this. I use always that tone of voice is more than five times more impactful, body language more than eight times more impactful than actually verbal communication. The words you, spe you speak, the, the true content which you shaped so painfully and carefully before you started your presentation or even your dialogue in a meeting. How can people work more on these nonverbal cues? One thing that I, that I try to always teach to those I train is that you have to make sure that your verbal message and your nonverbal message have congruence, are aligned. Our brains are always seeking out information that tells us there's some potential danger. That's just at the core. Our brain is always looking out to make sure we, we stay safe. And social safety is just as important to our social species brain as physical safety. And a lack of safety comes from not knowing what's going on, from being surprised, from being taken off guard, and from having something happen that we didn't anticipate. This is why during communication, people tend to be very on guard. And unfortunately, If we even have the slightest worry, the slightest concern that there is something that's wrong or that the other person doesn't have our best interests at heart, we actually tend to assume, a lot of times we tend to assume a pessimistic approach. So if your audience might assume the worst, if they are listening to you and watching and, and taking in the whole message, and if they sense that there's some incongruence, that something doesn't match between the words that you've so carefully chosen and you're saying, but the way in which you say them seems to say a different message. If their brain, and this is the very ancient part of our brain, you know, in, in the limbic system and the amygdala is watching for a potential incongruence. And there's been studies that have been replicated again and again, that this emotional part of the message, if it's not aligned, then the brain actually assumes that it's the nonverbal part, which is not matching the verbal part, that that's where the truth is. And this happens in milliseconds. They're not consciously, rationally thinking about this. They're not even aware that it's happening. But if there's something that you're saying that doesn't look like you mean it or you mean something different, those people's brains who are listening to you and watching you are going to tend to assume that there can't be two messages that are opposite and true at the same time. And their brain's going to look for which is the message that's true of these two conflicting messages. The brain will always assume that the nonverbal part is the one that's true. So for example, if I said the, the words, I'm not angry, the words are, I'm not angry, but my tone, my facial expression, the way that I said it does say that I'm angry and your brain will pick that up and be like, no, you're angry. You know, this is a very simplistic example, but that's sort of how it works. 
is very important that you convey an authentic message. So that's the first and most important thing. And this becomes difficult if you're doing public speaking preparation, for example, and you're maybe not very comfortable being a public speaker because authentic to you would be sitting in your office and hiding and not being in front of an audience. That's what authentic feels in that moment. Nothing feels authentic on being on a stage in front of a whole bunch of people or being on Zoom. But you can practice to make it more authentic. You can think about what actions with my face, with my hands, support my message rather than conflict my message. And this is the thing that you must practice if it's a public speaking kind of situation. And even in an interpersonal situation, practice makes progress and perfection is impossible. I'm working a lot with this limbic system as well. It's the oldest part of our brain. If you even go back to microorganisms where we come from, they already had these basic setups, which we still have inside of ourselves. And language, yeah, spoken word, was really the last piece that was installed in our brains. And this is a very young part of the brain. And so logically, as you said before, when we have a non-congruent message, We relate to the oldest part of our brain, and this is about body language, tone, all these more instinctive things where most people even don't realize that they analyze it that way. They just say, I don't know, I'm not convinced, or I I, I don't know, I, you trust her? I, I don't trust her. I don't believe what she's saying without concretely knowing why. And this is the subliminal message that comes over by body language. What is interesting with body language and with speaking trainings as such as well, and where I think people need to be careful in how they approach this, what you said, this practice that they really do this carefully, and I'm sure you have the good answer on how to do it perfectly well, is that authentic body language normally comes before the spoken word, whereas purely trained body language means now I have to smile, now I have to move my hand, for example, comes in the best trained case at the same time as the word. And this alone sends a signal to the audience, oh, something's not quite right here. How can we get beforehand to the stage to be this authentic person? What can you do to work on that? Yeah, it, and it feels so tricky, this this suggestion almost feels like it's incongruent in and of itself, right? Like be yourself and also trying to be better uh, and do these things. And it's so funny because there is a, a woman I know who trains people to be better, like to have TED Talks and speakers. And I watched one of her own uh, presentations and I thought, my gosh, she looks so robotic. <laughs> she's She's the teacher. And she stood and she had these, they almost looked like they were just choreographed ballet moves. She's a former dancer. And I was like, this doesn't jive with me. You know, I'm in her audience and it doesn't seem real. So, okay. Well, there are certain things. Okay. If your natural gestures might happen low, okay, then you need to learn to raise them, right? Like it's not that hard. It's not a big shift from where you were. If you very naturally feel when you feel nervous, if you naturally are fidgety and you're very likely to hold the pen and to do this the whole time, okay, well then remove things that may cause you to act on that without conscious awareness, right? Like these are little, there's little tweaks that you can do, but here's something that I think even before, something that I teach to be interesting, be interested. So, It sometimes helps to take us outside of just being so focused on ourselves, 
because we have been communicating all our life with varying levels of success. We already know how to do it. Of course, there's things, again, there's tweaks you can have to improve a little bit, but ultimately you know how to communicate. What's getting in the way is that you're nervous. So if you can shift your attention away from focusing on yourself and what am I doing with my hands and what am I doing with my face and focus your attention on the other person or people and what's in it for them and how do you want to serve them? How do you want to help them? I hope that your reason for communicating with them is one that doesn't do something that's harmful, right? You believe that you have something that can help them. It can help them do a better job. <clears throat> it can help improve their life. It, it certainly, I'm sure, helps you too, whatever it is, but I believe in a win-win. I believe that most people have a benevolent uh, intention. So if you cannot focus on your own and what you need so much, trust that you've done your thinking in advance, you've got your speaking notes, you know which order to do it, focus on them. So to be interesting to them, to compel them to listen to you, to make them really be in line with what you're saying, you need to reach them where they are. So if you shift that from that mode to, to curiosity and to interest and to approaching, being approachable to them and focus on them, you will take away that nervousness to a great degree. And it will allow you to just be your natural self, not be robotic, not be fake. They'll sense that. They'll sense your interest, which will then compel them even more to listen to you. This is charisma, in my opinion. This is what everybody wants to have, charisma on the one hand, but the, the people want to be listened to. They want to feel that you care, even at work, even if it's just in a meeting. Everybody is interested in themselves. So that means if you care... It is a wonderful step forward and a wonderful step towards connection. This is a, a point that brings me exactly to one of the biggest challenges that I see when I work with female leaders. Women often tend to perfectionism. They prepare like crazy for a meeting to bring over the message that every slide is perfect, everything they show and say is perfect. And by this, they disenable themselves to be able to be interested in the other person because by this, they would lose their speech or lose the whole thing that they have prepared. And so they don't allow for that and probably miss out on a big part of the potential they could have in a dialogue. What would you recommend to especially women who feel then like, oh, I have to trade off or make a trade off between making it all 100% perfect towards being more interested, being more open? Will I not lose my professional facet, let's say? Because many women have built that quite painfully and they want to show as someone who is very professional, have these famous leadership qualities, whatever that is exactly. But they feel like, I don't know how to position myself. I, I don't know how I can do this. What would you recommend for women like this? Yeah, and it's complex because unfortunately also I think that there's some studies that show that women are also judged differently. A woman can be just as smart, just as capable, just as prepared, but the people in her audience may judge her in a way that isn't uh, equal to a man with the same exact message, with the same level of knowledge and preparedness. One of the things that's always helped me a lot in, in my preparation in, as a speaker is that I, I think that if you're very, very prepared, that's a good thing. If you do a lot of your preparation up front, you've done your homework, you have 
in many ways, a comfort level with the information, with the knowledge that builds confidence, right? So you've got competence and confidence. These are key, but the connection is also key. But it's what's nice, if you allow this, is if you've done enough preparation and you're not just winging it because that creates a lack of confidence and potentially saying the wrong thing. But if you've done your preparation and you know that you've got it, it's in the back of your brain and you can trust that it's there. And it allows you to then come into the communication arena with the goal of being present. So again, if I trust that I've got what I need, I've done the work in advance, I've prepared my brain, it's going to give me what I need. And if I am present, I'm able to be connected. I'm able to be attuned. I'm able to interact in real time. I'm able to show empathy because I am no longer in myself and with myself, but I'm with them. So it's part of what I said earlier about that interested to be interesting, but the interesting part, you've gotten it in there. It's there. So just trust that it'll come out and it doesn't have to come out in exactly some perfect way because people will forgive you the lack of perfection when they sense that they can trust what you've got. It's coming out showing that you're smart, that you've done your homework, that you're prepared, but it's also coming out that you care. One of the best compliments I ever received, which was something that taught me a new phrase that I've used since then, was someone said that I exude confident benevolence. And at first I thought, I never heard this before. What does that even mean? But when you break it down, confident benevolence is this combination, right? If you have just confidence, sometimes you can seem aloof or full of yourself, right? Like you're arrogant. And that's not good because that doesn't connect with people. Benevolence means that you want the best for others, that you have good intentions, that you're there to help them, that you're there for them. So if you're only that, as a woman, especially if you're very focused on helping others, doing for others, being there, you may even seem like you're, you're second best, right? Like you're lowering your own value because you're, you're putting the other people's needs and values above your own. It makes it seem to some people even that they can take advantage of you or that they, dis, they dismiss or discard what you have to offer. But confident benevolence says, I believe in myself. I have something good to offer and I'm here to share that. I want for you something good and I believe in you. It's a win-win. We're equals. And when you have that combination, when you have that package, then I think that you will have a lot less obstacles in your communication path. I think everybody who's listening has a lot of competencies, but has problems to be seen and recognized for these. And I think this is a very good point. What you said, going into a different kind of preparation makes a difference when it comes then to communicating and seeing communication as a true opportunity and not as a threat or a burden that you have to take on in addition to everything that you have to do already because it's anyway and it's a part of your job and it's a permanent part of your job because you always communicate if you're saying something or if you're saying nothing you communicate all the time what is one first thing that comes to your mind that they can do as a first step to change their way of preparing themselves to becoming a really good communicator, someone who communicates with charisma? 
when we do prepare, many of us fall into the trap of preparing with just one track. So if you tend to be very optimistic, you prepare for the best case scenario. If you tend to be very pessimistic, you prepare for the worst case scenario. But there's a range of possible scenarios in between those two, at least have those two. <laughs> so think about what's the worst that could happen? What's the best that can happen? What might be some questions they ask me? What might be some things that they could uh, say that would caught, catch me off guard? You know, it's incredible how much of what surprises us would have been something we could have anticipated if we gave it some thought in advance. There probably will still be surprises, but why do we need to go into every communication situation, which as we've established is hard enough and have multiple possible surprises rather than to reduce the number of possible surprises because you know that whole we were talking about that ease and confidence like I know what I know what I know I'm prepared you can have so much more ease and confidence when you've thought about multiple possible scenarios you can never stop communicating and this work never finishes and it's never easy with your children with your spouse with your friends with your mother with your boss with your work with your uh, work team, it's never easy and it's never finished. <laughs> you gave us a lot of great tips and hints. Is there something that our audience can just take away and read through and apply to their life, which you might want to share? Yes. Thank you, Ulrike. You know, it's, I'm really glad that you invited me. I, I enjoyed speaking with you and I hope that this brings additional value. There's a guide that I created. It's called 10 ways to become a more engaging communicator. And it goes into a little bit of detail about some of the things I discussed and a couple of more. So if people want that, I can make that available for your listeners uh, free of charge on my site. It can be at uh, talentgrow.com slash charisma. Thank you very much. And we will also put this link into our show notes so that uh, our audience can have the download directly there. I thank you very much. It was fantastic. We had a lot of great insights and I'm very pleased that I had you here. <laughs> and I think our audience is as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Charisma Hacks. If you want to level up your profile and become a charismatic leader able to communicate, engage, and motivate in an inspiring and authentic way, you've come to the right place. Subscribe now to this show or reach out to me and get more strategies, tools, and mind training to sparkle from the inside.